Hello, and welcome to Make Mine Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel multiverse. I'm Elias Rosner. And I'm Jana Hill. And I'm lost in a CGI void, which may have looked like something if people had been fairly paid to make it. Excelsior. This didn't look like anything. Didn't look like anything to me. No, no. I would. I had such high hopes for this movie before it came out, and then the first trailer dropped, and I was like, "Oh no, the Micronauts!" <laughs> now, the Micronauts comics are, by all accounts, very good. They were by Bill Mantelo. He's very yeah, good. I've, he knows what he's doing. I have flipped through. When I worked at a comic shop, I opened up a collection that had those. I think. Yeah. But, like, my only encounter with them in Modern Marvel was in that awful, awful Hulk mini that we read. Did I tell you not to read that one when we were doing it? You did. Okay. And I I, I still read it. Hirokala is the worst. Hirokala is the worst. I was genuinely afraid he would show up in this movie. He didn't, but... We did, we did get something else. Yeah, maybe he should have. Maybe this movie deserved him. Yeah, so we're talking today about the movie uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. And um, I have, like, strong feelings to the negative. So if you're a listener and that would frustrate you or make you sad, like, this this is your exit ramp because I'm going to really uh, rip into this one. I'm going to lay yeah. in. Yeah, I'm mad. <laughs> you're, you're not going to get much disagreement from me. I went into it knowing I probably wouldn't like it. Again, as a guy who liked both other Ant-Man films. Love the other Ant-Man films. Ant-Man and the Wasp especially is like low-key, upper-tier MCU for me. I think it's so fun. Yeah, I I don't know what happened with this. I mean, I have I have theories and we have thoughts and probably about half of them are right. But <laughs> whatever happened to Ant-Man here, it needs like three different postmortems and I don't know, like no amount of explainer videos can save this movie. No, the explanation, the explanation isn't the problem. <laughs> Maybe there's it's too much explanation. It, well, yeah, it's, it's everything that's immediate appearance without explanation. That's a problem. Yeah. Uh, Before, so going into this movie, I and uh, I got a pal, Joe, who's guested on this show before. And um, we were we had this bit that we were telling everybody that uh, Quantumania was going to be the, the only good Marvel movie we kept on saying. Um, because we just, just the, the silly title Quantumania on top of the like already pretty fun energy of Ant-Man. Yeah. It, it had the recipe for success. It sounded like it was going to be great. Scott Payton was, was coming back. Yeah. And, and <laughs> when, when this came out in theaters, I didn't see it in theaters. Um, I had seen a couple of the recent Marvel movies, but I missed Black Panther and I missed, uh, can't even remember what else I missed. Probably uh, for the best. Black Panther is the only good one that you missed. I missed Eternals. I haven't seen Guardians 3 yet. Oh, I haven't seen Guardians 3 either. But Ant-Man and the Wasp, I was like thinking, should I go back to this? But the week before, there was like this dead silence of buzz. And I was like, that didn't seem like a good sign. And then when mm. the reviews came out, they weren't just like, um, oh, yeah, it's another cookie cutter Marvel movie. You know, a low energy. They don't, it, the, the reviews were like, this is a disaster and this may be the end of the world as we know it. And those mm. reviews were not wrong. Yeah, that w- they were scathing. And uh, after watching it, 
very deserved, which deeply saddens me. What's your least favorite movie of all time, Elias? Your number zero movie. No stars. Oh, God. I don't know. I've probably blocked it. I've watched a lot of bad movies, but I've watched a lot of enjoyably bad movies. Right. Yeah. Which is the the problem. So I think my... Oh, yeah. Uh, But we didn't watch it. Hannibal Rising, I feel like, could be on that list. I mean, that's a really great pitch to... uh, I don't have fond memories of The Man Who Fell to Earth, but I think I just saw that at the wrong time. Yeah, I like that. It was experimental and weird. Features David Bowie. Mm-hmm. So it, it's uh, my my least favorite movie was a superhero movie as well. Another superhero movie. Hmm. I went with my buddy Quinn, who is a contributor to multiversitycomics.com and mm-hmm. a hotshot lawyer now. Oh. But exciting. he was a, when he when he was a teenager, uh we went to see uh The Amazing Spider-Man 2 with Andrew Garfield. Oh no. And I that like mathematically, I think that may be my least favorite movie. It just there's so many elements, every element of it I disliked. I thought I didn't like what they did with Electro. I didn't like what the romance was doing. I didn't like how they were uh, doing like a chosen one arc with Spider-Man kind of taking away his agency. I didn't like how much we were focusing on his dead parents, which are super who are boring and not interesting to talk about. What do you mean? They're spies that are also robots and might still be alive at shield (laughs) question mark dick move if so (laughs) better not to think about it um and my least favorite part of that movie was how it was a commercial for all these other movies that never even came out Mm -hmm. there's just all these scenes with like shadowy figures and you're uh, like oh you come back next year to find out who shadowy figure is and yeah, I was sounds just like, like you're the not gonna... mummy with Tom Cruise. Yeah, that that's a uh, another. I haven't seen that, so I can't. But this is yeah. This movie, Amazing Spider-Man Two, represents that spot for me. The uh, modern, so commercial. It's trying to like uh, grind at making movies. Movie. Mm. But I truly think that this movie may be my new least favorite movie of all time, beating Amazing Spider-Man 2, because that movie at least had one perfect scene, which is Andrew Garfield and Dane DeHaan are just like hanging out on Dumbo. And it was right after they had uh, fixed Dumbo up after uh, Hurricane Sandy. Uh-huh. So, so it was like the new shiny Dumbo and uh, oh. I hadn't had a chance to visit yet when I saw uh-huh. that movie. And then I went like shortly after and it's nice. But um, just like those two guys being buddies, getting like ice cream and grabbing each other's asses or whatever they were doing. That was a great scene. (laughs) One good scene saves it from being irredeemable. I don't know if Man and the Wasp Quantumania had one good scene. Um, I'm looking through my notes. There's a couple of things I acknowledge as um, being all right. Yeah, but it's stuff that you could get from any other... Of these, actually, I think Thor: Love and Thunder might be near the bottom of my pile. That's, that was the one that I was thinking of. I didn't see that one either. Good. good. I probably. I'm sorry, will. Taika, but good. Oh my god, I have like big picture thoughts about uh, Taika and how the culture is turning on his sort of earnestness. But we got to talk about Ant Man. We got to talk about Ant Man. All right. All right. <laughs> I don't wanna, but I so, do. So the movie opens with this cold open that involves, um, I should just open, I don't want to mix up anybody's name, but it's about uh, Janet Van Dyn, as played by uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Van Dyn. One of Van Dyn? Van Dyn. 
Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, one of those, I read it in my head for years, and I always forget how it's really pronounced. <laughs> Jenna Van Dyne, played by Michelle Pfeiffer, who is, like, one of my all-time favorite people. Love Michelle Pfeiffer. And she's been great. What a great character. Happy to see her back. Right. It's great to see her back. It's great to see... Um, and also, like, uh, the first movie was just Ant-Man. Second one was Ant-Man and the Wasp. Here's another Ant-Man and the Wasp. She's the original Wasp. And Janet's a character I really actually love. Mm-hmm. I love her in the comics. Uh, she's always my favorite of the classic Avengers lineup. And I always like her as... Um, she's just such a natural uh, wing lady to any of the superheroes. Mm-hmm. She, she rolls with everybody and she brings a fun energy. Yes. But the so the cold open is like a bunch of mysterious goo in um, what we know is going to be the quantum realm. And Jonathan Major shows up and we know he's Kane the Conqueror. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts away. Yeah. You know, cut to credit, cut to the Marvel Absolute logo. waste of a scene. Well, so, so what's a cold open for, I guess? Uh, Eve, like even the... The corniest cold opens are like, so if you're worried that maybe your movie is going to take a little while to get to the exciting part, mm-hmm. maybe you want to show the exciting part and like tantalize the audience with, uh, don't you want to find out how they got into this position? Yeah. That, that's, uh, you may be wondering how I got here, is like the point mm-hmm. of having a cold open like this, but the only information that's being conveyed, I guess, is that Kang is here, wherever here is. And that only means something if you're a comic reader or you're like following the marketing of all the MCU movies. Yeah. And you could argue that this if you've only watched three movies and it's Ant-Man, Ant-Man and the Wasp and now Quantumania, the implication of her having a house and then seeing this guy means that she was lying a little bit when she came back up, which we figure out in the first five minutes of the damn movie elsewhere. So this opening does nothing. I have a bone to pick with the way cold opens are used in movies nowadays, especially in the Marvel Universe. And it's that they're just they are taking the place of narration where the studio comes in and is like, people aren't going to understand this. You need to put narration in your movie. And like you can feel it. Even if this was a decision by the creative team to be like, okay, we need to like tease Kang's showing up. There's no mystery preserved. This was an issue in Love and Thunder, too. We had an opening scene that, because of the way the rest of the film was structured, it ended up sucking out all the mystery and tension to the rest of it and, like, some of the threat instead of making the threat seem bigger or, you know, priming us for more. Or just, like, giving us some motive or stakes. Because by Mm -hmm. the end of that scene, uh, Kang is just... He's here. And yeah. Janet, we know, was trapped there and wanted to get out. I guess the suspense is he may have helped her get out. But like you said, yeah, if we only watch the other two movies, we just know. So she was lying, I guess. Yeah. And it's such a short scene. I genuinely think if they had spent 15 minutes with her in the quantum realm as this cold open, like kind of establishing, if not a lot of what we get Establishing any sort of relationship between Kang and Janet, I think that would have been a really interesting opening. You get through that and then we cut to credits and it's suddenly Scott and you're like, oh, so now what? Yeah. So we cut to Scott. (laughs) He's walking down the street and like, you know, I wanted to see it in the trailer. 
Well, I went, I hadn't, I, I went into this movie trying to avoid as much of the marketing as I could, but I couldn't yeah. avoid the reviews. And this scene, like, <laughs> I felt disrespected by the scene. <laughs> so, so, but Paul Rudd's narrating and Paul Rudd is like one of our great actors. He's such a great movie star. Paul Rudd doing anything is inherently cinematic. I think he, he could take like a, you know, a cup off the shelf and put it on a table and I would be enthralled. Mm hmm. And so he's walking down the street and he's smiling and I'm like, I'm cool. Paul Rudd's here. I'm okay. But then the voiceover, he's just like, yep, that's me. Ant-Man. You're probably wondering and saying, Ant-Man, your life doesn't make sense. Well, I guess it doesn't. And then he starts like summarizing how Ant-Man's been in other MCU movies. And (laughs) he was just like, "Uh, you know, I fought uh, with Captain America at an airport once and then I got trapped in the quantum realm or whatever. And then we time traveled and we fought Thanos on a big field. And like, you're probably like, how can that one guy possibly do those things? And I'm like, I'm not wondering that. I don't think you're that unusual. You're kind of typical for characters in this series. That's kind of the problem with the movie. Yeah. They're they're explaining something away that's not even like it would be bad if that was happening. And this was how they how they, if they were right and they needed to explain away the nonsense. And this is how they chose to do it. That would have been an awful creative choice. But they're also wrong. It actually does make sense. Mm hmm. It was just good. like I, I flabbergasted. I don't know. I don't know. I I enjoyed bits of that, but I mm-hmm. think it's only because I enjoyed watching Paul Rudd kind of like sign a bunch of stuff. And he, he was just, he was charming. It was fun. I was like, ah, this is the tone of the film that I would like, not dour whatever's going on in that cold open. I liked, um, I like that one dude called him Spider-Man. Thank you, Spider-Man. Yeah, that funny joke. I like that joke. That is one of the shining bright spots of that movie of the movie. There's like a couple of jokes that I thought were that kind of made me chuckle. This is one of the better ones. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like you said, if the whole movie is people like not knowing that he's Ant-Man, that also gives him an arc because by the end of it, maybe people will be recognizing him a little bit more, you know? Yeah. He wants some recognition, some validation from his community. I get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no great arc for him. And There's no great art for anyone. Yeah, or maybe every character. This is when we're introduced to uh, Cassie Lang. Again, again. Uh, again, uh, who now is played by Catherine Newton. I believe she was played by Catherine Newton in Endgame as well. Is that right? Uh, maybe. Is this I, our second I Cassie or a third Cassie? Care. This is the third Cassie because there was kid Cassie and then there was teen Cassie. And now there's like older teen Cassie. Young adult Cassie, I guess. Yeah. So... There are many actors in this movie who are like, uh, I love, I love Catherine Newton. I think she's great. I think she's got like a lovely energy uh, in movies. I love her in, I'm just trying to list all my favorite. I love her in Blockers, where she's kind of the uh, the uh, straight, both straight and straight edge girl. Mm-hmm. I love her in Detective Pikachu, where she's like a plucky girl detective. Hmm. <laughs> She, I, she, her performance was so fun, even though the movie sucked in, um, that slasher movie where she switched bodies with Freaky, where she switched bodies with Vince Vaughn. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's not a great movie, but the only part worth watching is she doing like her pretending to be Vince Vaughn is so funny. I love that kind of stuff in in films when you just have an actor playing another person's character and they just have to be that person. Yeah. Great stuff. 
Absolutely. So, and, and like she did it with the best of them, I thought. So Catherine Newton's like a young star to watch out for, I thought. And I'm so bummed that uh, this is now her association with the Siege franchise. Yeah. So she replaced Emma Furman, who was the one in Endgame. Right. And she was just like a kid. Yeah. Yeah. When I heard they cast Catherine uh, Newton, I was like, hell yeah, we're going to uh, get like a real heavy hitter playing Cassie. I just can't wait for her to be on the Young Avengers or something. OK, I, I do. Wait. I can't wait for that. Will it happen with this? Uh, who, who knows? So we'll see. Then there's the way we are introduced to Cassie. Why did they? Oh, sorry, I was sorry. I what? was look. I was trying to find the name of the the first one. Uh, it's Abby Ryder Fortin, who played Margaret. And are you there? It's me, Margaret. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Good for her. She would have been great. Uh, the two little kids who played um, Black Widow and Black Widow's sister at the beginning of the Black Widow movie have both gone on to be kind of uh, uh, successful young stars. I think that's fun. It is fun. Anyway, back back to Ant Man. <sighs> yeah, so uh, Scott is, we're being introduced to Cassie in this movie, and the way we're being introduced to, uh, uh, to her is that her dad, Scott, is bailing her out of jail because, oh my god, I actually don't remember the exact, the police were doing something violent towards protesters, but I don't remember exactly what. I think that it doesn't matter. They just were, and so she shrank their uh, police car <laughs> and stole it. Yeah, which is... Uh, Good shit. Key- yeah, another uh, cute scene, but what a weird like political note to start on. Where like it sounds like a an actual atrocity was being committed, like 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 criminal violent actions of the law enforcement establishment against the citizens they're sworn to protect, kind of stuff. Yeah, and then they which don't do also, anything with it. Well, which and which is thematically kind of like the similar issues that you deal with in a lot of superhero stories. Mm-hmm. That people's great power, their responsibility, and all that. Um, and Cassie was like seeing a problem and being a hero. She was nonviolently uh, stopping the police from hurting these people with tear gas or batons or whatever terrible violence they were inflicting. And in the story, Scott is like low key disappointed in her for getting into trouble. Yeah. And it's originally framed as he gets a call and it's like Cassie's in jail. And he's like, I was in jail. Right. Oh, no. And- and Paul Rudd actually is a good enough actor that I really felt in the, the scene that that's what he was trying to do with it. But the script was not really framing it in that way. You, um, that he, yeah. But it's also just like pick a different crime or better yet, actually have her do some mischief so that um, he can be a cool dad and be like, look, I know you want to like shrink shit because it's fun or whatever, but you can't uh, just go around shrinking all your problems away. I don't know. That's like basic a movie. Yeah, I think the idea was to try and prime us to see her as like a hero, like she's trying to follow in her dad's steps. So she's both getting arrested and being a hero. But I don't know. I think if they wanted to do something like that, yeah, they they should have picked something else. It would have been interesting if she got arrested for breaking into somewhere and stealing shit. Like she broke into a company and then stole some documents by shrinking it. And they were, you know, proof that, you know, they're doing illegal dumping or something like the things that she thought her dad did. Or if we're still having fun making Marvel movies, fucking pick one of the zillion Marvel characters who has like a goofy invention and have Cassie steal it from their evil corporation or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Fucking uh, she steals something from the guy who's the red ghost who can talk to gorillas. Mm, 
since we're already talking to animals in this movie. Yeah, true. Maybe Red Ghost should have been the villain. Steal from AIM. Yeah, steal from AIM. AIM was AIM is still out there. AIM was a company that got founded in Iron Man three. Uh, and, and there's right. nary a beekeeper to be seen. Yeah, we should we should start moving forward. Okay, so then we get to um the ant the Ant Man family at the like uh, dining room table. You got I, I just like uh the major players here. We got Hank Pym who is played by Michael Douglas, the great Michael Douglas who was like a sex sex symbol of the early nineties. Mm-hmm. And Michelle Pfeiffer is there as Janet. We got Paul Rudd as Scott Lang. We have Evangeline Lilly, most famous for Lost, I guess, as uh, I guess. as Wasp, as Hope Van Dyne. And Cassie's here, too. And <laughs> they immediately start having this conversation where they're just like, hey, we forgot to ask you about the quantum realm. And she's like, oh, we can't talk about the quantum realm. And uh, I hate my, it so much. But so my overwhelming feeling was like, truly, you have it's been like five years, 10 years, 15 years since uh, Ant-Man 2, like plus a blip. Yeah. And I'm, I was trying to figure out how remember how long the blip was. But uh, like the blip uh, was five and, years, but they, there may have been more time in between then and now. Yeah. But just like this is the first time you're bringing it up. It's just when the, the movie happens to start. Yeah, and it's not like they make it clear that this is a conversation she has ducked and dodged for a long time. <laughs> yeah, that didn't even occur to me. Like, if if it had, that could have been interesting. It's like, you have been avoiding this question for years, so we went and did something about it. Right, but instead, Cassie's just like, oh, we found this, We made, I made this cool Quantum Realm gadget. Also, like, Cassie's gadget wizardry is unexplained, I guess. Uh, I'm not trying to be uh, like those guys who hated Ray about it. But um, just like, you know, Cassie already has a thing. Don't give everyone each other a thing. I'm tired of the Marvel scientist kid. Yeah, the whiz kid. I'm tired of it. Let someone they, be stupid. They can do it if it's whiz kid from a uh, sword and he's okay. in the cool wheelchair. Let then, someone then just be like it. a regular ass electrician. Yeah, well, that's one of my issues with the Electro and the aforementioned Amazing Spider-Man 2. <laughs> I like that he's an electrician. I like that he's got elemental powers, but no idea how to use them. Yeah, that's fun. Him being a, a scientist makes no sense. Um, okay, but so Cassie just like turn press it, it. Cassie presses this button, and then she's like, "Quantum realm." And then uh, Janet's just like, "Did you say quantum realm? You have to turn it off." And I don't and then know won't why. Won't say why. And won't say why. And I don't know how it was clear to Janet based on what Cassie had said about the device that they were all going to suddenly get sucked into it. Like what did I, and at the end of the movie, I still don't understand yeah. why Janet knew that Cassie's machine was faulty. Yeah. And like, she doesn't even say it's dangerous. She makes nothing, no mention of danger. She just says, turn it off, turn it off. That's it. Yeah. I guess and this like... was the moment like before <laughs> this, I think the movie was okay like there were parts i'm like all right this is this is moving it's kind of fun i don't see why people hate it so much this happens and then the movie shuts off well i don't think it shuts off one second later because the (laughs) very next thing that happens is they fall through the laser light show into the quantum realm that they've done in both of the previous ant-man movies I mean, my finger was over the stop button at that point. I was like, please let me just just let me do it. Let me stop the movie. You were the one making us watch the movie. I know. With great power, must with great responsibility, you must have great power. I thought the laser light show was good. I just like I, there's not going to be many elements of this movie that I'm going to uh, feel positive about. But this 
little like him falling through the fractal whatever's they is always a, a visual treat and it was mm-hmm. the last visual treat in this whole fucking movie yeah yeah so they crash are they separated i can't remember i think they're separated i think they're separated too but this is where we get to the quantum realm so this is your here's your corner to go off elias go off about the quantum realm i know you have uh, thoughts the quantum realm <laughs> God. Come on, you've been preparing for this for a long time. I know. So the quantum realm is the MCU's answer to the microverse. Because the microverse is tied up in all sorts of legal rights with uh, Hasbro. Because mm-hmm. that's what the Micronauts were. They were a toy line. Marvel had the license. And they treated all of their licensed properties as part of the Marvel Universe. Anything that was created by the toy lines can't be used once you lose the license. But anything that they created specifically for the comics got to continue. That's why we have a lot of these weird remnants and changing names and things Uh, like that. The other famous example I can think of is Rom Space Knight. But there's also a bunch of early Transformers and G.I. Joe comics you could read that have Spider-Man in them and shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like with Rom, Rom... Not part of it. The um, Wraiths, there's another... There's another. The Dire Wraiths, I think. Thank you. The Dire Wraiths I've read are some technically... That is ROM, and they were both allowed to be... They continued over in the ROM comics, Dire Wraiths, and the specific type of Dire Wraiths was allowed to stay in the Marvel comics because all of the things that were added to it technically fall under that license. Yeah. Fun. This is when licensing goes kind of fun. Yeah, but the quantum realm is just, I don't even know, we get there, and it should be interesting, but it just feels like we're doing space stuff without any of the interesting space stuff. Yeah, kind of, it feels to me like somebody called Peyton Reed and they're like, you gotta do a third anime movie, you're contracted, and he's like, oh shit, um... I don't want to do that, but I kind of wanted to make like a Star Wars movie. Let me just like make a Star Wars movie. Yeah, I keep I keep having exasperation because none of it feels unique to like the micro, the microverse. There are there are things like someone's riding a tardigrade at some point. Which I was going to say. So I can see in some of the design that artists, whoever was uh, making doing the concept art of this movie was definitely looking at, like, pictures of things under microscopes mm-hmm. and then kind of trying to extrapolate out from that basic idea to make, like, uh, amoeba-looking, like, buildings and shit uh, mm-hmm. and animals. And all the creatures were kind of gooey in this way that uh, looks like bacterium, kind of, I guess, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it feels... I think... I don't, I don't even know. There's no... There are no words for how disappointing the quantum realm is in part because the quantum realm, like it's equivalent in the comics is not particularly interesting. They just yeah, decided let's go sci-fi, but small. Yeah. I guess they, they had like infinite potential to, mm-hmm. and they just don't do much with it. Actually, it's weird, like high fantasy, stupid shit. Yeah, it kind of feels interesting like if, bits. if it's Army of Darkness didn't have jokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, we should move on. <laughs> right. Well, I, I guess we're going to we're going to complain about how stuff looks. But like the in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, I was feeling the energy kind of coming out of the MCU, like the air had come out of the balloon. Uh huh. 
But there was like even the very first scene, which was in a big CGI void. Um, it was in- visually interesting. There was like these weird rock things and America Chavez was jumping from rock to rock. And there was like oh, a little bit of kineticism. Yeah. And uh, I, I like I understood the weight of things. All the stuff you look for in comic art was pretty good in that movie. Not, uh, you know, not breathtaking, but serviceable. Mm hmm. Everything here looks like it's made. It's inflatable. Everything or like uh, it's flat on the other side or it's aluminum or something. And if you uh, kicked it, it would crumple. Yeah, it looks like a terrible, terrible sci-fi channel set. Yeah. And I've been watching old sci-fi and some of it looks pretty cool. Yeah, some of it looks really cool. And I mean, like, you know, cardboard and uh, plywood sets, not CGI sets. Like, I, so I, looks... I don't think that this is a failure of artistry even. I think this mm-hmm. is a failure of vision. I feel like th- they didn't have any good ideas, and that's why they didn't really commit to any of them, because they didn't like it. Yeah, they're just like, all right, have a generic forest that's kind of inspired by microscopic art instead of, you know, trees. Have a building that here, here, literally have the salt wastes from Last Jedi for like two scenes. And uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, and Mad Max Fury Road. Like, why? You could have done so many more interesting things. Yeah, it, like, uh, because we're calling it the quantum, literally anything. Just like nobody liked the microverse. Mm. There wasn't, there's not like a big contingent, there's not like a big microverse lobby that was gonna come out in force if they changed something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But so uh, Scott and Cassie land in front of the the kind of new supporting characters for this movie. <laughs> and the guys who you feel like were the question of, so who are the weird little guys in this movie that we're going to make Pez dispensers out of? <laughs> who's who's replacing the great uh, Michael Pena and uh, David Dasselmachian? David Dasselmachian is still in this, actually, as one of the terrible guys. No. Yes, yes. Oh, so I'm so I looked into these guys because I was just like, I, you know, we're a Marvel podcast. It's something we like doing is on the weekends. We like taking time to just talk about Marvel bullshit. Right. Mm hmm. I did not get anything. I was like, who the fuck were these characters? Where did they show up? And like, was this a good adaptation? Even I don't know. So first I looked up Gentora and you looked up Gentora as well, right? Yeah, because Gentora seemed like the most solid of all the characters. You know, maybe Gentora was some amalgamation of a couple different microverse characters. She was kind of no. like a generic barbarian type that was already done better this year in uh, Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Yeah, so she's here. Turns out she is related to Hirokala, and we have read four-sevenths of her entire comic lifeline. She showed up here in seven issues yeah and we've read the majority and hated what we read (laughs) why did they pick her yeah well and then not do anything good with her yeah so they took this name of this character and then they made her this barbarian character and she's leading the freedom fighters although at this point in the movie it's not clear what they're fighting against or like or what freedom for them would even mean yeah yeah, because we know nothing. We don't know any of the background details. It's like we're being dropped in on book five of the Legend of Drizzt. <laughs> God, that sounds like my my own nightmare. <laughs> um, so, then, mm-hmm. then we got Quaz, played by the great. I'm going to say this about a lot of guys. William Jackson Harper. This was the mind reader, right? Yeah, most famous for playing Cheedy in The Good Place. Yep. Great. He was. What was that show called? Like Love Story or Love or something? Which Which one? 
Um, there, there was like an HBO show that he was in. Oh, I don't know, unfortunately. But a couple, you know, he had a couple good lines, and like with all of these characters, they don't do anything with them. They're there, they have powers, and then eventually they do some punching. William Jackson Harper was in a show called um, Love Life, which uh, oh. I found him very charming, and I was, I, he was dreamy in that. And okay. uh, he also is like the worst person in the world in Midsommar, and he's great. Okay. He's very Range. pretentious and funny in that. It's a bunch of like young actors playing the worst people in the world very convincingly. Mm-hmm. But so I'm just like, I love William Jackson Harper. I bet he said yes to this because maybe, you know, it's a good boost to your career to be in a couple of Ant-Man movies. Maybe he'll become a beloved character like Darcy Lewis from the Thor movies. Fucking mm. nope. nope. Poor William Jackson Harper. Just like this is the opportunity he was given. He said, why not? And now, yeah, ever. And now I just like I'm mad at him and it's not even his fault. Mm. He's just so, mo- as much as I enjoyed some of his lines. It's just straight up generic MCU comedy banter. Nothing inspired about it. Well, so uh, doesn't lead to anything. I just so, I want to just mm-hmm. get to the last member of the trio is Veb and Veb, who is a Namiba blob creature, is voiced by David Dasmalshin. Okay. All right. And there's a bit that I kind of smiled at where they were chanting something weird and then they uh, drank some ooze and then it turns out that's what they were chanting was drink the ooze. Kind of like that part in Galaxy Quest, I guess. Drink the ooze. Drink the ooze. Yeah, and I like chanting drink the ooze. Like, all right, that's fine. Mm -hmm. And that feels like the kind of weird shit you would expect and hope for in. Yeah, if that was happening every 15 seconds, that would be great. Yeah, and I, uh, I honestly think if they had smash cut to that, everyone's falling, and then suddenly you just see chanting and then ooze, that would have been funny. Yeah, there's a if uh, if they got uh, Sam Raimi to make this movie, maybe it could have gone that way. And maybe. Do you remember the last guy, Globehead? Nope, I don't remember him. Oh, I just wanted to, you may note, I, there's a little image in our notes. Uh, when I looked up Veb, I just was trying to compare his... Um, comics wiki entry against his mcu movie wiki entry uh-huh and in the mcu wiki they have a section called personality um <laughs> which i use like stupid when captain america loves to follow the rules just like yeah that's that is apparent from all the stuff that he does yeah wiki is weird but under personality for veb was a caption that said to be added and i was just like what a damning indictment of this entire movie personality <laughs> to be added i think that it might have just become the title of this episode I think so. <laughs> yeah, they drink the ooze. And I want to just call attention to one last thing in the scene. We're uh, we're almost through the terrible first half. Oh, God. Which is um, Veb, the ooze guy, asks uh, Scott Lang how many holes he has, which Scott is a little taken aback. Then he counts them. Then he, it's like it's kind of gross out, but um, it's done with enough charm that it kind of got a chuckle for me. Mm hmm. And this, to me, based on the, like, three episodes of Rick and Morty I've ever watched, seemed like uh, the kind of joke that they would do on Rick and Morty. Yeah. But I w- in those three episodes of Rick and Morty I've watched, there's, like, you know, maybe 20 jokes in a 20-minute episode, average of a joke of 60 seconds. This was the only joke like that in the entire movie. What do you mean? There was also um, the joke where, where Janet has lovers. Right. I think. Yeah, you're right. That is all. Uh, that seemed even sub Rick and Morty to me. That seemed like an <laughs> 80s comedy to me. 
That was like way less sophisticated than the joke about the holes, I thought. I mean, the payoff for, for some of the holes was fun. I'm saying, so I'm saying this was the one joke throughout the movie that had a little bit of energy to it. And mm-hmm. it's one joke in the entire movie. A 20 minute episode of Rick and Morty would be packed yeah. with jokes. And it, I, I reason I brought up Rick and Morty is because it's a writer of Rick and Morty wrote one of the many drafts of the screenplay. Uh, so this might have been held over from that. Yeah. But like this should be the Ant-Man is both the crime one and the funny one like of the movies. This is the one where we expect a lot of banter. I don't expect a lot of banter from Iron. Well, yeah, slowly Iron Man's over famous time, they all became the bantery ones. But like Captain America, that's a movie that I would hope is a little more serious. I always like the more serious ones. Yeah. But Ant-Man is like straight up crime thriller and comedy. Yeah, it's a it's a caper. Yeah. Each, each yeah. of the first two anime movies are a nice caper, which is what is nice about them is they're not like uh, overstuffed war epics. Mm-hmm. And, and this is an this understuffed is war. This is an understuffed war epic. There's nothing in this oh, war yeah. epic. Yeah, we don't even get uh, trade federations and uh, tax deals. Yeah, it's just like that's it's uh, there's so little there there. Yeah, yeah. I, I we're not going to talk much more about him because there's so little to talk about. But uh, I want to um, talk about poor, poor Michael Douglas doesn't get a lot to do so michael douglas as hank pym was the second time that the mcu had scored like a real actor with gravitas in my eyes who had kind of felt like it was like slumming it a little bit but maybe in like a fun way playful mm-hmm. way the first yeah. being uh, robert redford in winter soldier he's like crazy how qualified he is and how good he is in that oh yeah so he was the one i was like fucking robert redford that dude was a you know there's a sundance film festival that he invented basically. <laughs> and and you got him playing like a villain in Captain America 2. Wow, this movie series must be serious. Mm-hmm. And my, so Michael Douglas's Hank Pym was another just like Michael Douglas used to make like movies for adults that fucked. And here he is. The one thing I remember him doing in this movie is um, he pilots uh, an amoeba craft by placing his fists into some goo. Mm, more goo, and more ooze. It's more goo, more goo. And of Michael Douglas, like, stiffly acting like he's in Star Wars Attack of the Clones. Oh, yeah. Like, just, like, so upset to not understand the CGI and to not be directed to doing anything. It's just, like, waving his arms and being like, whatever, yeah, like, I'm not here. And I'm sitting in the void. And I was, like, gutted by uh, the house. It was so sad to see Michael Douglas like this. He looked so old and beaten down to me. It's just like... uh, there's this uh, dynamic I think about where um, I the, uh, Rita Moreno was in Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Did you watch that ever? I did not. Uh, Rita Moreno was in the original West Side Story, so it felt like one of these like Marvel legacy things where you cast the actor winkingly or whatever. Yeah. They gave her this incredible character who was a white man in the original West Side Story, and her being uh, Latina is important to the story because that like changes all the dynamics. And mm-hmm. they give her one of the best songs in the show somewhere she gets to sing. Mm. And I was just like, wow, Steven Spielberg knew that he had the great Rita Moreno. So he made sure he had this like part that was worthy of her talents. And like squandering <laughs> Michael Douglas like this. Michael Douglas I, gets goo hands. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, um, why are you, you putting Michael? Doug- I know you, you can afford putting Michael Douglas in this movie because you're Disney. But why? You don't seem to want him in this movie. And that's OK. 
he could not be in the he seems like he doesn't want to be here either. Yeah, they could have they could have had him left behind up top. Yeah, he or didn't fucking, have to be in that room. Or fucking do the thing they do in um or Thor Ragnarok where they're he's just like, oh, Jane is winning a Nobel Prize. She's gotta be somewhere else. She's so smart. She's a woman in STEM. Just fucking be like Michael Douglas is on vacation. Honestly, that would have been fun for him. Yeah, and then cut to him uh, like twice throughout the movie where he's got to do like Ant-Man stuff to get into his hotel room after he locks himself out. I don't know. Let's see. You're assuming that this is a competently cut movie. Well, I'm not assuming that. I'm just pitching the my movie, which is inherently better because it wasn't this movie. <laughs> so let's fire. We, we've been going for a while. We should take a break and then. I don't even think we're halfway through the movie. Don't worry. I kind of fell asleep like two thirds of the way through it. (laughs) Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we're back. I just Quantumania. Let's go. <laughs> Quantumania, let's go. Um, all right, so around here is where we find out that the, the rebels are fighting Kang the Conqueror. He has conquered them. Oh, yeah, they kept referring to him as just him before this. Uh, which was like a worst version of calling him uh, he who remains or whatever they called him on Loki. Yeah, but again, that opening scene sucked all the tension out of it because we knew who the fuck he was. Yeah, I guess we didn't know his name, but yeah, we knew who the fuck he was. Yeah, even if not, we're like, oh, it must have been that guy. Why else would they have shown us the scene at the beginning? Yeah, and and when we see Kang, when we see Kang hanging out, I thought he looked pretty good. The suit was cool. The suit was cool, which is like a tough comics costume to pull off, but they made it look kind of scary and cool. They made the blue look scary and cool. Yeah. I'm shocked. uh, Yeah, they did the blue face thing, and it kind of looked like this crazy sci-fi technology that was like sliding down his face, which I guess I hate in most Marvel movies, but looked really cool here. Yeah. And it's appropriate for Kang. Yeah. But, like, the movie at this point had been treating Kang like... I just wrote it in the notes while we were here. It's like, every time Kang's not on screen, everyone should be saying, where's Kang? <laughs> and that's what this felt like. Yeah. And and when he shows up, the movie's kind of like, and it's Kang. And we're like, we know you've been telling us. OK, just uh, uh, Kang does a bunch of stuff in the back half of this movie. But does. I think broadly, this is it, right? So Kang was it was trapped in the quantum realm, but he's trying to conceal this fact from everybody because if he, you know, then they would think he was rude or whatever. And he had like an engine that could get him back to the real world. 
but Janet found out that he had been in exile, and because like Janet don't fuck with immigration or refugees, I guess she that was evidence enough for her to destroy Kang's machine. So Kang blackmails our heroes into fixing the machine, and then they fight. I guess oh, I don't actually no. remember. So she had she has actually a good reason for for doing it. She when she puts the orb back in his. So Kang had crashed there. He was exiled. Meets Janet Van Dyne. They have a nice relationship because he's charming and sweet and whatever. Um, she helps him fix up his ship and this core. Uh, they figure out how to charge it. When she's putting the core back in the thing, she gets all of his memories. So she sees all the awful shit he's done. Uh, and then I guess the Kang people kicking him out and sending him to to the the quantum realm. Uh, so she embiggens the thing so it's so big it breaks, I guess. He's trapped, so he's like, fine, I'll do what I do. I'll conquer everything. Yeah. Yeah. And You know, I'm remembering that, but I guess the way to make that have impact at all would be show some of the atrocities instead of just telling us. Yeah, and also, you know, having shown actual relationship between Janet and, and Kang, it's a two-minute montage. Yeah, my explanation this, was longer than the actual scenes. This is where you get Jonathan Majors shooting a scene quickly with Chris Evans and or fucking um, Benedict Cumberbatch or something. But just like show Kang killing heroes in other worlds. That that's what we're here for. Right. There's all these fucking mm-hmm. references. Yeah. If you're going to do multiverse commit. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. God. Jeez Louise. Okay. Did you have anything um, else to say about Kang? I do, because I think we also have to talk about Jonathan Majors, because that really affected the way I watched this movie. Okay. Uh, so, around the time when we watched this movie, um, Jonathan Majors had already had some of his early legal trouble, and I knew that he was accused, and I knew it didn't sound good, but I didn't know much more than that going into this movie. But the whole climate of that was a bummer enough that I didn't go see Creed Three in theaters, which he is the co-star of. Mm. despite me loving Creed 1 and Creed 2 and mm-hmm. Creed 3 is on streaming right now and there has never been a night where I'm like yeah I could get over it I'm just like and real bummed about it that makes me feel bad yeah hard agree and since then um, what details have come out have not been good or promising or exculpatory no it's only gotten worse it's only gotten worse uh, he's scheduled for trial still um, and I guess the other crazy thing is if I had heard that Marvel was recasting Kang as like uh, seven other actors because of the multiverse. Sure. Why not? If I had heard that, then I could be like, OK, so this is going to be like a weird Rocky start where Jonathan Major shows up twice and then gets replaced because he's going to jail for beating women up. Yeah. And but like a more understandable replacement than what happened to Rhodey. I love jo- I love Don Cheadle, but also. Right, but and I could get over a replacement very easily, like uh, fucking mm-hmm. recast people. I don't care. Yeah. Harrison Ford's going to be in the Thunderbolts movie. Whatever. They've recast Cassie Lang three times. Yeah, in this movie. You're right. They recast <laughs> Cassie Lang three times. But the continued like lack of any acknowledgement from Disney, or and also that we know that the the movies they're building towards with this whole like arc of their film story is supposed to be all Kang all the time. Mm-hmm. If and I, yeah, and I couldn't get invested. And I couldn't let myself get invested in this Kang who I think might not stick around and who, who his charm as this guy who seems charming but actually is duplicitous and violent. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I just like every time he was in the movie, that was in the back of my mind or the front of my mind. Yeah, it was deeply uncomfortable and 
not the obviously movie couldn't have known that ahead of time by the time they were doing like the ending vfx like the the that end our, our end scene which we'll get to in a little bit i think they knew and they could have done something yeah but they didn't yeah and I don't know, like, that's a real tough situation, obviously. Not as mm-hmm. tough as Chadwick Boseman dying. That's crazy that that happened. Jeez. Yeah. But yeah, just like uh, this whole movie feels like a tax write-off now because it's like, all right, so we cast this actor who we can't invest in and we put this entire, like, multi-billion dollar franchise on his back. The name of his character is the title of, like, a couple of our upcoming movies. <laughs> yeah. And also that, like, all of the compromises in this movie seem to be in the name of this eventual actuality that eventually it'll get better. Once Kang is here in full, you'll really understand and you'll appreciate this. Ugh. Hate that right? shit. But, but that's bad, even if it's true, and it's worse if it's not true. That's what happened with uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2. They're like, mm-hmm. we're going to do a Sinister Six movie. We're going to do an AMA movie. We're going to do a Silver Sable movie. Yeah, do that if the first movie is good. Or if people, like, really respond to that character. Yeah. You, you know how people will feel about it when it comes out. And then you can greenlight the sequel. You can just be patient. Yeah. So before they, or around the time Krang is uh, showing up, uh, a bunch of the characters, including Janet and Hank and Cassie, I think, um, mm-hmm. go to yeah. a cantina. <laughs> Again, more Star Wars The cantina shit. is, like... N- there's no wide shot of this bar at any point. So I just see like a couple of like, it looks like a, a live studio audience TV set to me. But even there, it doesn't feel like any of the characters are actually in the setting. Like, yeah, just I guess it's something like about had, the compositing. And if you told these a bunch of actors, we're going to composite the set from Cheers around you. Just like act like you're in Cheers. Mm hmm. Because, uh, yeah, it was always from like these two angles. And the bar felt very sparse. There was, like, some creatures in there. I don't remember a single one. And even the similar scene in uh, The Force Awakens, a bunch of those Mm -hmm. guys, I was like, ooh, cool design. That's a guy. Yeah. This was nothing. We had had, uh, some ooze shots, though. Some ooze, yeah. I don't remember it, but I'm sure it was there. Shots of ooze. Shots of ooze. But here is where we're introduced to a character named Krylar. Elias, just because I'm actually struggling. Will you remind me, like, what Krylar does in this movie? What his arc is? He is a former resistance person, I think, who may have killed the previous governor of the region with Janet. Uh, They used to fuck. And he rubs Hank's face in it. And then offer no, and then betrays them to um, the microverse Nazis. And does he die? Like, does he? I forget. Does he die immediately after he's introduced, or like at the end of the movie, hours later? I don't remember. I because th- I think he dies very quickly. So Bill Murray is another one. Bill Murray is obviously a legend of uh, such movies as Ghostbusters and Groundhog Day, both of which are kind of uh, sci-fi classics too. Mm-hmm. Caddyshack. Right, and then other, uh, he's famous for comedies, uh, and probably more so, and mm-hmm. his uh, later Garfield. sad boy career in, like, uh, Wes Anderson movies and stuff. Or Zombieland. <laughs> yeah, or and the Zombieland cameo where the joke is that it's Bill Murray, and it's funny because it keeps being Bill Murray. It's just sad Bill Murray. Yeah, but it's Bill Murray, like, uh, 
making jokes at his own expense about like the Garfield movie and shit. Mm-hmm. That was fun. This so I re- was not. Again, as somebody who did not watch any trailers on purpose, I wasn't trying to know anything about this movie. I heard so much about how Bill Murray was going to be in this movie. Bill Murray showed up in the trailer. Just like the Marvel marketing machine, every little like scrap of Bill Murray information they presented as uh, like this big bomb. And this is where I talk about when like Disney is treating these uh, legendarily statured actors as um, like Pokemon cards that they're displaying. Mm -hmm. And add to it that Bill Murray, despite all of his many accomplishments and talents, also has a bunch of recent news come out about him being a sex creep and an otherwise creep generally on set. And I didn't know about that. And the way he was being creepy to people was very similar to how his character was creepy in this movie. Uh, or like he kept on um like saying uh sexual things in front of people to get a rise out of them and upset them and like harass them in that way like that's the joke of the entire joke of his character in this movie before he is dispatched like rudely and and after that really terrible like sexist one note joke it's just like he's gone and now i'm just like sadder than i was you reminded me that bill murray is like uh old and sad and imperfect and we'll do this shitty movie for a buck Mm -hmm. i don't have much to say about bill murray here i had actually forgotten he was in the movie fair enough from the trailers and then after i loved ghostbusters as a kid he does some sexual harassment in ghostbusters yeah but i can still enjoy ghostbusters the movie from my childhood that i can't enjoy anymore is um Every time I've tried to rewatch Rush Hour and Jackie Chan says the N-word, I get so uncomfortable I turn off the movie. Whoa, wait, what? You never saw Rush Hour? No. And Jackie Chan's character doesn't speak much English in that, and Chris Tucker like pranks him by telling him to go uh, call <sighs> people the N-word. Oh my god. And then they try to beat him up, and then he beats up a bunch of people in a bar. Okay. Right, like, the joke isn't inherently... Like, it's punching kind of in the right direction, which is that Jackie Chan is silly. But like every time I'm just like, oh, I don't like watching this. I don't like being reminded that we used to be this way. Turn it off. (laughs) Turn it off. And Ghostbusters, I can watch it. I get like I get in the movie that goes. His character's being an asshole and you're supposed to like him. But he is being an asshole and they know that. Yeah, they don't think he's being nice. They don't think they're not confusing being an asshole with being kind. Mm. And there there are plenty of movies that do that. Yeah, I think that's a a sin I see often in cinema. Now, shall yeah. we talk about this movie's greatest sin? Oh, Elias. <laughs> Just actually, I was like, okay, so we're almost done, right? Like, Bill Murray was terrible. And then I looked out and my heart broke all over again. We haven't even talked about the worst part of this fucking movie. Oh, it's so bad. All right, all right. I'm, okay. I'm, you gotta start, you gotta start. I can't. <laughs> I'm Just okay. thinking about it makes me angry. Okay, so going into this movie, an announcement was that a villain in this movie was going to be Modoc. I would say if I was making a list of like top 10 Marvel villains, not Modoc, Modoc probably wouldn't be in it. But if I was making a top 20 list, he'd be in it for sure. Modoc is up there for me. Modoc is a classic Marvel villain. Yeah, but but is he good for Ant-Man? Depends. Now, yeah, I, I, I can see because so Modoc, uh, if you recall, first appeared in the pages of Captain America, I believe. Uh, probably I believe it. And aim with the like guys all wearing the identical yellow beekeeper suits, which is a cool visual. And could have been funny. Yeah. And if Ant-Man was like fighting Modoc, this giant head with baby hands 
floating around uh, running this like evil science corporation and they had to fight a zillion dudes. That sounds kind of cool. That's like a movie. Yeah. And I mean, it fits with the other two. They're fighting like weird tech, evil tech people. They're sneaking in and out. They have to deal with this. It's, you know, insect themed. And, and we've read a lot of, oh yeah, beekeepers. That's fun. That's funny. That's a good joke. Yeah. We, um, we've read a bunch of MODOK comics for this podcast and or reviewed a lot of MODOK stuff. MODOK is often a really fun character to use to talk about like dude bro entitlements in like, a, especially like a nerd circles, like insecure guys who are mean and think that they're being nice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, our image of that kind of person is always changing. So it sounds kind of cool to do like a MODOK who's like a annoying twerpy Zuckerberg type who transforms himself into this abomination. Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. That's what George Tarleton is like. He's like a terrible Mark Zuckerberg type. But there is no George Tarleton in this movie. There is no George Tarleton. So I don't even remember his name. I, I remember his name. So, so in in the commercials coming up to this movie, they showed that Modoc is in this movie. But Mo and Modoc, I was very excited. I'm like, that's perfect. That's wacky. That's wacky, scary, cool, fun. But the Modoc in the commercials and in the final film kind of looked like a, a cast iron statue of Modoc. Like he was made all of metal and couldn't articulate his parts. Mm-hmm. Modoc's face was like a mask, like a metal mm-hmm. mask over we hiding. I do not know what in the commercials. Yeah. And he's got like weird buzzsaw hands. And I like and I was like, OK, that's like a really ugly design for MODOK. But MODOK is MODOK. Maybe he's just like a robot or something. No. MODOK opens his face metal to reveal a skin face under that that does not make a lot of sense at first because it's so unrecognizable. But we are yep. informed belongs to none other than Darren Cross played by uh, Corey Stoll, who had a small role in the aforementioned Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, in which he was very good, and was the bad guy in Ant-Man 1, uh, in which he was pretty good. He was like a very solid supervillain. Mm-hmm. Not, yeah. not, uh, not great, not, no. not, not all, all that memorable, but uh, he... He's back. He did what he... Yeah, he showed up. Yeah. yeah. But why is he back here? Why is he Moda? So, why, why is his awful, tiny, little, stretched garbage tv face here so it just looked so bad i was like I, i'm baffled by this it just looked like somebody had taken like um you ever seen when like what the video game textures look like before they put them over polygons when it's all stretched yeah. out like that yeah it looked like somebody peeled the face off of one of those and then just like put it against a flat surface deeply unsettling and not in the way they wanted it to be Maybe a little bit in the way they wanted it to be, but like it looked so. But he's a comedy character. They he, play he, him off as comedic. But but in the movie, he's positioned to be tragic, but then they keep playing him like he's comedic. Yeah. So just, what little story we can see with Modoc here is that after the end of Ant-Man 1, he was cast into the quantum realm. That's how like Scott, he, he Scott gets him to shrink so far that he can't stop. Mm hmm. Yeah. And he landed in the quantum realm and. We can assume, although the movie never shows us any of this, that Kang like found Darren Cross. And I guess there there was a brief montage again, blink and you miss it, of Kang's minions picking him up, putting him in a suit. But I was going to say, like, uh, there's not like a scene where like he understands what's happening to him and he gets to like react to that. Hmm. 
It's just this like kind of way you. of like King found him for and didn't really care about him. He put him in a suit because that's what the Conqueror would do. Yeah, I get, whatever. He has these tiny baby hands because he got all squashed and stretched when falling into the quantum realm. And his character is kind of this weird archetype that I don't know why is in this movie, which is um, if you watch Saturday morning cartoons from like the early 90s, late 80s. Yeah. The villain always relies on this incompetent minion who reliably lets them down. And it happens in every episode. So you're kind of just like Shredder. Maybe Bebop and Rocksteady are not the best guys for the job. Maybe you need to like go up in a level of minions or something. Oh, no, you're right. That is who he is. Because he doesn't do anything or want anything the entire movie. Just every so often, Kang kind of doesn't want to show up. So he sends MODOK to go in his stead. And then MODOK performs so poorly that you just wonder why Kang trusted him or why Kang relies on, like, why is he alive still? What does Kang want with him? He doesn't seem to be doing stuff. No. He's messing stuff up. Constantly. I I hate MODOK here so much. I think so I hate movies much. here. Oh, that face. When I... I heard that Modoc was in this movie. And then someone was like, here's a photo. And I went, no, that can't be. This has to be some edit that someone made poorly in Photoshop on purpose. But no, that was the official art. I remember when Iron Man 3 came out and I was a big comics fan then as I am now. The Mandarin was teased to be the villain of that movie. But when you watch the movie, the twist is that the Mandarin is uh, like a construct, like a false flag that a bunch of Americans created for war profiteering. Mm -hmm. And when I walked out of that movie, everyone was like, God, thank God they didn't make Mandarin like a Chinese guy or whatever. That would have been uh, terrible. But I've read a bunch of comics that I like the Mandarin and I think he's been handled in fascinating ways and... uh, and a bunch of titles I could point to. Yeah, it would have been weird because of how they set up the Ten Rings at that point. Because sure, that's a great point too. Because they changed his origin to be in the Middle East, and that was also, you know, with Obadiah Stane putting him up to it. That was Which a whole is very thing. politically two thousand eight in this way. That's kind of embarrassing now, but these movies have been coming out for a long time. Yeah, like you can see the logic behind it. But so I remember walking out of that movie and I was just trying to express to my not comics reading friends that Mandarin is like a major Iron Man villain. And it's crazy that we're so lucky that we get like enough Iron Man movies that we can maybe do an Iron Man in the Mandarin movie. Mm -hmm. And that I kind of felt like they had blew their shot. Like uh, a Mandarin is such an obscure character that this was the one time they're ever going to put him in a fucking movie. Uh, Who cares about the Mandarin? Which is so funny because then they do him later and they cast him as Tony Lung and actually they do a great job by him. That's exactly the kind of thing I had in mind. Yeah, I wanted more Tony Lung. Where's Tony Lung? Yeah, um, just like a major Marvel villain. And so like I so that feeling of like they took my favorite character and they kind of like waste not my favorite. Mandarin's not my favorite, but they took a a really cool character who I like and wasted them. And we're never going to fix this. Just like there's never going to be a movie with the Mandarin. Yeah, we're never going to get a movie with MODOK. Yeah, I'm just like, they made MODOK. I hate MODOK now. I don't want a MODOK movie. Like, if they made one, they're like, sorry, this time we'll get it right. It's just, it's too late. I'm so no. mad. I want a second season of the MODOK TV show. Sure. That was a. I would love that. Was, that. Th- yeah, that was a great time, actually. That was a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah. Claymation, I think, is a good medium for MODOK and his stupid little baby hands. 
And who's the other villain that we've kind of gravitated toward reading um, some of our villain comics is fucking Taskmaster, my other favorite, who they also messed up in a similar way, where instead of just making the character the character that they are and like adapting them, they just mm-hmm. create a bad, terrible character who sucks. And then they just called them by the name of a real character. They deadpooled her. They also, yeah, Deadpool and X-Men Origins. They also kind of do this with Ghost, but... I love Hannah John Kamen so much that I'll forgive any crimes she's part of. Yeah, and, and Ghost is still potentially around as, like, could be an anti-hero. She's not gone. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, I really liked uh, Ghost's origin stories in the comic. He's a cool character. Hmm. Okay, I mean, we. I've I've had my MODOK freak out. Fuck MODOK. Yeah, well, okay, and so MODOK, uh, Kang sends MODOK to help uh, Scott Lang go into this like fucked up zone that where weird shit happens and Modoc going there is just kind of like rude and unhelpful and uh he and Scott like snipe at each other in like very this is Guardians of the Galaxy and everyone is five years old ways mm-hmm. um and then there's a scene with which like I'm kind of baffled by so Scott goes into this weird place zone and then, like, probability starts getting fucked with, so he starts seeing a lot of Scots from across the multiverse? Uh, no. They're not Scots from across the multiverse. They are alternate po- possibilities of Scott. Like, he's like, all right, I'm going to go f- to the left. So that sounds like also the one to goes me. to the right. Yeah, and that's then the one that went works. to the right could go to the left or the right. Yeah, it's Marvel has a branching timeline. Yeah, but they're not really pulling from the multiverse. And for some reason, the Baskin-Robbins Scott is here. Right. That I was funny, like, but Yeah, one of the one of the jokes that was kind of funny. But it was very inexplicable. And just like the, the disagreement we're having here about what the multiverse precisely is seems like something that the movie should have addressed. And also while the visual of like a zillion CGI Paul Rudd's um was kind of memorable. It wasn't like exciting or good. It just kind of if I, if someone asked me what happened in this movie, that might be the fifth thing I remember. Yeah, I I nearly forgot. Uh, Hope shows up. Hope flies down. Hope right. keeps him on track, and then they—I uh, don't know—they get the orb. They Kang gets the orb, and then we enter the third act, which is just a big punch him up battle where people show up again, and it's all pretty weightless. And like the the freedom fighters show up, yeah, and we don't really care because we haven't seen them for an hour. Yeah, and we didn't care about them after their one scene. There's payoff on the joke about the holes. The, the, the holes guy gets shot, and he's like, now I have a hole. And you're like, ah, call back. Very nice. And he's and he's very scary. <laughs> yeah, and he does freaky-ass shit. Yeah, uh, I think the, the helmet head dies, and Gentora cries. I literally don't remember anything about that. I was dozing off at parts, this, parts here. Yeah. Uh, it's inconsequential. Kang's yelling. He's like, how dare you do this to me? He puts up a big orb shield. Uh, and then we get, because we can't leave well enough alone, one more MODOK scene where he gets his big redemption arc. Uh, well, okay. This is this is probably my final big... Nope, I got a couple more sticking points. I'll try to... Not to linger. I'm so mad. I'm so mad, Elias. I'm just so mad. <laughs> I'm so mad. So, while... Scott is doing the thing with all the other Scots and there's like a lot of them. Cassie says to Modoc, like, you know, you could like stop being a dick or whatever. Oh, and right. Modoc's just like, I don't want to stop being a dick. I'm Cor- Corey Stoll. I love being a dick. 
And then Cass is like, whatever. And then kind of negating also like he wasn't just a dick in the first movie. Like that wasn't his character. Right. He was greedy. And you don't understand how anything he's doing here will get him any material wealth. Yeah, maybe, maybe being squashed into the quantum realm messed with his brain. I don't know. But that's the we're at no prize levels here to justify this shit. Yeah. But then in the final battle, fucking shitty Modok, who everybody hates, just like defects against Kang. And he's like, I'm no longer pro conqueror. It wasn't clear why I was pro. It's not clear now why I'm anti, but I will throw my life away uh, fighting in this big CGI battle. A flubber. <laughs> Got a terminal case of flubber. <laughs> and then and I remember this upset you like viscerally while we were watching it as this big head of uh, Darren Cross lies dying on the CGI ground of the quantum realm. He s- says to Cassie, like, did I do it? Did I stop being a dick? And then everybody looks at each other like, "Uh oh, and Cassie's like, "Uh yeah, yeah, you did stop being a dick, man. You did it. And then the joke is that he can die happy. But like, it's this like pitch black humor thing where this guy was tortured to insanity and nonsense. Um, This girl was like, it seemed like mocking him, just like, hey, stop being a dick. This became the core of his being, apparently. The only thing he wanted was in like three minutes in like three minutes. But so the only thing I know about this guy is he wants like Cassie's approval. That's why uh, that affected him. Yeah. Which was like, she seems nice and cool. I could, I could, well, he was sort of the stepdad of Cassie for a bit, I think. Oh, that, no, you're mixing it up. That was uh, Bobby Cannavale. Oh, you're right. Who wasn't in this movie. Yeah, so who, who fucking cares about Darren Chris? Darren Cross. Darren Chris is another person. What's the, what's Darren Cross's character's name? Uh, Yellow Jacket in um, the movies. In the comics, he was first a villain called Crossfire, which is a good oh, name for no, a guy. Darren Cross was the, the comic name god god fuck modok fuck this modok yeah modok is george tarleton properly yeah bring bring us george tarleton at least he starts as an you know a schlub but so the the joke here or i think this scene is supposed to be a joke and the joke is that this guy like and the joke is that he's pathetic the joke is that he's so pathetic that the only thing he wants is approval of this like 20 year old woman and um, who like offhandedly mentioned something to him that he was like, now I can get approval. He dies doing so. And then in his final moments, they all look at each other and like make fun of him for being so stupid to like die in their name because they hate him. And that's just like so nasty and unfunny. It's just like so bad. It's yeah. such a bad flavor. I just really hated everybody at that moment. Honestly, I forgot about that part. I was like, oh, he dies. And then, you know, it's kind of a shitty ending for well, him because he doesn't earn the redemption. No one really no. gives him the redemption and it doesn't matter because why would we want him to be redeemed anyway? He's done nothing to deserve it. Mm-hmm. And this is calls back to you at the beginning of the movie. Uh, my feelings about when Scott's just like, now you might not think this movie makes sense where uh, I feel like someone being like, and then Modoc like, I guess learns how to be less of a dick or whatever. And they just like wrote that in brackets to address later. And then they got to the set and they're like, fuck, we forgot to write the movie. Yeah, which is what it feels like a lot of the time here. And like there's an anecdote about this movie where instead of calling Paul Rudd back to the set to do a running scene, you know, instead of paying someone 
to do what they're supposed to do because they forgot they needed to pick up or whatever. They just had like a shitty CGI model that they didn't give the artists enough time to do and enough money to do well. And they were like, eh, just throw it in there. So it makes yeah. the whole thing look even worse. It looks like a bad episode of The Flash on the CW. Yeah, yeah. No, no The Flash looks better. Yeah, Flash does often look better. And in Iron, like Iron Man didn't have a script. Famously, they improvised Iron Man most of that movie. Oh, wow. Uh, and Iron miracle. Man 2. And it kind of shows more in 2 than in 1. Yeah. But one of the reasons that works is because the improv is based around uh, the actors having chemistry and figuring out what works on set, feedbacking each other, doing a couple of takes, doing some alternates. And But here there's nothing to react to. It's like it's a different type of movie. It's like a CGI blockbuster action adventure. And thus, there's no place for improv. CGI works best when it's meticulously planned in advance. Like... Mm-hmm. Uh, the Wachowskis planning every uh, frame of their storyboard before they even give actors a script. They know what all the shots are going to be. Or if they're like insert shots of an exterior or like things like that. Yeah. And this movie felt like they were realizing the day of that they had forgotten to do the job. But because the job is so time consuming, they didn't ever do the job. Anyway. Movie ends. Big fight. Kang dies. Uh, Yeah. Kang dies and um, and they get out. And then we do a nice bookend with the shitty part of the beginning where Scott's like, you might be wondering how I got here. Yeah, because the movie sure didn't explain it. And uh, you may still be saying, hey, man, your life uh, doesn't make sense. I guess they're kind of alluding to more people know who he is, but they like him less. Yeah. Now that they know he's not Spider-Man. And then and this was the weirdest fucking thing for me. <laughs> <laughs> then Paul uh, Paul Rudd's monologue is like, um, unless maybe Kang didn't die, actually, like he got flown into a big light or whatever. But now that I think about it, I actually don't know if that killed him. I don't know what that light even means. It was just a full on existential crisis. And he has this full on existential crisis. He's like, maybe Kang will come back and try to murder Cassie. Maybe Cassie is going to die right now. And he's having like a panic attack. And then he's like, but I don't want to think about that. And that's the punchline of it. And that felt really disturbing to me because... Like, we don't really know what happened to Kang because it's as unclear to him, apparently, as it is to us. Mm -hmm. Um, That bunch of CGI happened that we don't understand either. And nobody told us or Scott. And then he and then he's like, I'm so scared about this. I think the consequences of it will mean my daughter's death. And then he's like, so I won't address it at all. And that's the note the movie ends on. (laughs) So fucking incongruous. And I think that could have been an interesting development or punchline for an end of a movie maybe not an ant-man movie but like it has that like future creeping dread of the end of thor ragnarok like the stinger scene which was separate yeah. from the movie itself but like or the, that. the ending of winter soldier when they're in the cemetery and now they're going to go look for bucky yeah yeah that's a that's a cliffhanger that's a kind of like a the last minute we don't find out to the last minute and that kind of changes how we see the movie in a cool way mm-hmm and this is him being like, OK, I just wasted all of your time and mine. Uh, I guess we'll figure this out by the Avengers or whatever. Enjoy Jonathan Majors. See ya. And then we get our post credit scene, which is like fucking baffling. So the first post credit scene is we see a lot of uh, Jonathan Majors, just like a million of him. And they're all different Kangs. They're the Council of Kangs. I actually thought they kind of look cool. A little bit. A little bit. And then... 
one of them starts screaming incoherently like this war bellow. No, so we had the council. There was like four or five main ones. They're all the ones that we recognize from the comics. You know, Pharaoh Kang and Future Kang. Immortus, yeah. All those Kangs. And then it zooms out and it's like they are the superstars and everyone else is like the the like shitty knockoffs and like the the stands and the obsessive fans but they're all kang and one of them does like the you saw avatar the last airbender right the show yeah love the show one of the greatest shows of all time do you remember the uh when they show up on the on early on they show up on an island i think that was where um the kyoshi island Mm-hmm. And the one guy comes out and he's like screaming and frothing at the mouth and then he falls down. Oh, the guy who's uh, every the avatar. Yeah, every time he sees Aang, he gets so excited he starts frothing at the mouth and veins. Mm-hmm. Great gag. Great, That's great what gag. it felt like, but a shitty version. <laughs> that that was what that was all I could see was the Kangs like doing that at the That's so funny. Famous I was interpreting that as because they're conquerors, they're letting out this like savage yell of like warfare and conquest. And that they were all getting sights for it. And I thought that was kind of weird because it's positioning Jonathan Majors as this, like, bestial barbarian, which I thought was kind of like a weird look for the movie, racially speaking, and with Kang being like a super future guy. Yeah, it was really weird. More so that when I'm seeing that, I'm just like, okay, so you're showing me that this, like, black man who's acting is like a dangerous, violent threat and that he should be behind bars. And then that's also happening in real life. And like, but it's a big problem that (laughs) mass incarceration is a huge problem. And I just like um, the movie is now asking me to root against or root for this guy getting imprisoned. And like, what's it saying about imprisonment? And like, what sensitivities is it showing to like making this? Is it being colorblind? And that's why Kang can act this way. And like, was the Kang that was exiled the least bad of all the Kangs or like actually the worst of all the Kangs? Or was he just kind of like anarchist and outside their system? Like, None of this is addressed. None of this is really like interrogated. Yeah. It just makes it all the more confusing from the Kang we got in Loki, which was interesting. And and that's the the final uh, the final post-credit scene is really just like a teaser, a 15-second teaser that they would have put online on YouTube. Uh, Catch Loki season two coming this October. Yeah, yeah. I miss I miss when the second end credit stinger was just like a fun little comedy thing. I always like being shocked. If it's, I want it to be like uh, different than it was last time. Like uh, All right. it, it being Iron Man 3 and he's like, I'm not that kind of doctor is like uh, whatever joke, but I wasn't expecting it. And so it was funny. And um, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver showing up at the end of, of uh, which one was it? The first Avengers, uh, first uh, Captain America movie? Mm. I think I think so, yeah. Or first Avengers movie, rather. Um, but them showing up in the stinger, I was just like, oh, that's mysterious and enticing. And yeah, this just like didn't add any dimensions to what we already knew. It just was like creepy imagery that I didn't enjoy looking at. Yeah, no. And oh, and the Loki thing is introducing that... Um, it's kind of implying stuff again without figuring it out, but it seems like the first Kang was named Victor Timely and he was um, like a traveling medicine show uh, huckster in like the old West. Yeah. Again, with like real weird uh, racial imagery of that 
of this like black witch doctor roaming from town to town and these white people being like, oh, we need your ailment cured. Mm. Yeah, I guess I I was reading it more like a Tesla style world um, world's fair presentation. Yeah, but yeah, I liked the first season of Loki a lot, actually. Yeah. And that 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 clip uh, made me like it less. <laughs> so what can we say about Quantumania that we haven't said already? Nothing. It's bad. <laughs> it's really Hate bad. It. I, I really think it might be my least favorite movie of all time. I'm just like, I keep on thinking about it there. Besides a couple of little bright spots of like uh, of light humor. Um, I thought this movie was like disgustingly to look at. It was like uh, atrociously ugly. And then also like because it was so empty, it kept on like implying things about the terrible power structures that oppress us all in mm-hmm. and, like and saying like all the wrong things and defending the status quo that Cassie shouldn't fight the police, that we should laugh at people at expense after they're tortured to death, that um, rebellion is great, but only if you're fighting the conqueror and not you're not Bill Murray. <laughs> yeah. Just like it ends up being in service of like all sorts of disgusting ideas because it's not trying to say anything. And so it just lets it's just a reflection of the ugliness of the world that is. I think we'll leave it at that. I don't. Jesus fucking Christ, Elias. What are we talking about next time? Is it going to make me yell? I don't know. We didn't decide. Are we deciding live (laughs) on the air right now? I guess so. (laughs) Because we were originally going to do something, but then, uh, you know real world stuff happened and we're like maybe we shouldn't oh that's right okay people we're gonna leave our we're not doing a reading a book club next time so just uh tune in for a surprise topic that will be a lot of fun yeah so jana where can they find you on the interwebs on tumblr i guess ramblingmoose.tumblr.com i also contribute to multiversitycomics.com which is a pretty great website what about you elias uh i am emailable at Rosner at multiversitycomics.com. You can find me writing at Multiversity Comics as well. My Twitter exists. I don't know if I'll have shut it down by this time, as I might need it to be able to read people's fucking or it might not even Twitter help. threads. Maybe you won't be able to read them even with one. Yeah, maybe maybe it'll finally go bankrupt as Musk stops paying his bills again and then sues to not have to pay his bills. That God, what an asshole. Anyway, this episode was edited by Livian Saphir, and our theme song is Excelsior by Carol Romo. G- give us a better Modoc show, damn it. Give us better Modoc. Excelsior. <laughs>